Ladies and gentlemen, look who we have here. Ghost himself, Samuel Rukin. It is a pleasure and an honor to have you back on the show, mate. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Mate, how's it all been for you the last year or so? Because Modern Warfare 2 came out and then we've had the strike and you've been in other projects. You got back into theater. Tell us about 2023. How has it been for you? Um, I think I'm very grateful for my 2023. It's been um, a really difficult time for everybody in the business um, on our side of the picket line, you know, the writers and the actors. And then, of course, everybody that's affected by that, you know, every single industry from craftsmen to craftspeople to, you know, um, like if you have a catering company or if you own a restaurant or a diner that's near one of the studios that's usually hopping because it's so busy, like the ripple effect of what's happened over the last year, it you can't articulate how serious that is. And then back to like, you know, my field of vision as an actor, just so lucky that I had a play on the slate which took me through the summer. Uh, I booked a movie that got an interim agreement from the union, which meant that they could shoot. And, and then of course I had my, the game stuff that we were doing for Modern Warfare 3. And I also do a lot of audiobooks. So, you know, from my perspective, I definitely consider myself one of the fortunate ones because I was able to, you know, carve out a not horrible year uh, less than that you know it was really it was actually a lot of fun for me despite the fact that there was all this um struggle for so many people and so for me I was grateful. quietly just very grateful because it, it, you know there are times in every actor's career when um a stoppage like that can get you in a lot of trouble um so uh, I worked on some great things and I was also active in the, you know, in the the fight to get the deal. Yeah, you were on the picket lines, I saw, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't on the LA picket lines, but I did split my time between Chicago and LA. And and so, yeah. you know, I did what I could from here. Um, I have a friend who was on the negotiating committee. And um, so I was kind of in touch with what was going on as much as he was allowed to talk to me about. But it was, it was just such an awful experience to go through you know everybody just wants to be um treated with dignity and respect and everybody knows that in every business there is a small percentage of people who will make a, an extortionate amount of money and 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 that's great um most people in every business don't they just want to get on with it and not have to worry you know so uh i'm glad that we're where we are <laughs> and I'm I'm glad we've come out the other side and I'm I'm glad that everybody can get back to work. And by the way, they're not back to work yet. Well, you know, what do you mean? Well, we're we're recover we're in a recovery stage now, right? And and there's all nothing could be done. So even though the strike ended when it ended, uh, I forget what the date was now. It's all a bit of a blur, but it's been a month or so. Yeah. Um because we're so close to the holidays, nothing can really begin, you know? So even though everyone's like, great, we're not striking anymore. No one's back to work. No, no one's like back on a set yet that I know, you know, everybody's just um, expecting that to get going in the new year, but there has been a trickle of audition material. So that is a welcome change, you know? How many auditions are you doing a year? Oh God, no. <laughs> Because it's mean, not easy, normal, is it? You gotta set up the year. cam, you gotta edit, you gotta do this, that. It's yeah. not quick. In a normal year, like, you know, it can get into the triple figures. Shit. You know, I mean, not not like 200, but like, you yeah, know, yeah. you could easily do 100 auditions in a year if you're really lucky. I mean, you know, yeah. but you could do like a few a week. And if you spread that across voiceover as well, like, I mean, oh, it's so many. But yeah, to give you an idea of how crazy this year has been i've had one audition on camera since may damn 
Wow. So that's that's where we're at. So what does that do to your resilience or your character in a way? Like, Well, the thing is you can't really starve out actors because they've already figured it out, right? Actors know how to make it work. You know, they're, they're, they're good at treading water. Artists are very good because they have to be at survival. So, um, you know, in some ways, you know, you get on with it. I mean, you, you can't do what we do without being resilient, can you? No. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's one of the key ingredients. Um, you're going to hear no a lot. You're going to, um, you know, get too attached to something that doesn't work out. You're mm. going to think something's great and then it turns out not to be. And uh, there's going to be gaps and there's going to be, there's going to be, you know, feast and famine and all, all everything in between. So I think going into it, everybody knows that. And I actually think, you know, now the people that have, that are coming up and have come up behind, you know, my generation of actors, if you will, they're even better prepared than we were because you see what's going on, you, you know, and you, you know how expensive life is in, in the cities where you want to be. And, and so you figure it out. And I think actors are really good now. At, and I always say this to, to, to young actors when, if, if I, if they ever ask my advice is, is, you know, I say, get used to calling yourself an artist. Not an actor, it's an artist. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to say, Hey, I'm not an actor. I'm an artist, but I mean, like just yeah. in your own mind, know that you're not just one thing. And if you, if you're good at being an actor, if you have a, you know, you know, a real kind of passion and a skill for that, it's, it's a hundred percent, never the only art form that you're good at. I've never met a single actor that's only good at being an actor. You know, they have, there are many ways to um, assert your creativity and, and it be satisfying. And I think, and that's what I love about being in America as well is that, you know, that's really embraced. And, and I think, you know, actors, actors are much more, uh, they're much more on it in that way. Now, I think people, you know, they, they go in thinking, you know, well, uh, you know, I might write a thing, you know, or, you know, I think I might write and direct something. I might. Yeah. It's starting to pop up a lot these days. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. That's right. And, and actors as musicians too, you know, like mm. it's such, it's always such a big crossover. I mean, for, 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 ever since the beginning of movies, like musicians have become actors and it's still happening and vice versa. Like, I think it's, I think it's really sad when people say, wait, you're writing something? I thought you were just an actor. You know, it's kind of absurd to me that anyone would ever say that. But there's so many things that come into, mm. um, that, that you you feel you want to apply your creativity to if you are an artist. And, so is that and where you, your DJing came in? Well, I, I mean, I guess if you were like to take a bird's eye view, you could say that. But no, I've been DJing since I was 14. Damn. Um, I, my, my brothers, so in England, the, the acid house scene and, and the rave scene in the, I mean, in all the way, in the late 80s, particularly, it was getting big. And then in the early 90s, you know, my brothers were old enough to go to clubs or just about, and I wasn't, I was, you know, you know, I'm showing my age here, but I was like 11, 12, 13, you know. And, but my brother would like disappear on a weekend for like two days <laughs> and come back with like a, a cassette tape, mm. with like a mixtape, right? And he'd have gone to like three different parties under <laughs> motorways and in <laughs> warehouses and and came back with all this very naughty music. You know, and uh, and it was like and it was like proper dance music, and I didn't and and I found it euphoric and uh, mischievous and uh, and almost it was almost taboo. Like God knows what he was getting up to, but I knew it was something exciting. And so then you know we had some friends who were DJs. And they had a, their garage was just like floor to ceiling, wall to wall vinyl. And they had, you know, the Technics 1200s in there. And me and the younger brother of that family, who I'm still very, very good friends with, we would, at some point, they'd get tired and we'd be allowed to get on the decks. And that's how I learned to DJ. You know, we just spend hours in the garage, just like doing epic, 
you know, four, five, six hour sessions of just like mixing. And, and that was how it started. And then in the Northwest of England, where I'm from, you know, the house music scene was, that was really like the, that point was like the heart and soul of the, of the dance music scene and the house music scene in, in England. And so, you know, we, I, I grew up near Liverpool and Manchester. So the Hacienda was there and Cream was there. Garlands, like all of these, like, you know, the 501, sorry, the 051 club, so many um, like amazing clubs mm. in the UK. And then when I was at university, that was again, like it was just starting to take over. It was like the early, you know, it was like the end of the nineties. It was like taking over. It was like, that was the, the start of like the, you know, superstar DJ period, you know? Yeah. And anyway, so through all that period from when I was about 14, 15, I was DJing and I would do the school discos. I was the DJ for that. And, you know, I would like go to bars and play with my mates. And then when I was at uh, university, I started DJing at the students union. And then I actually started a club night in Hull in the, in the and we ended up with a, a, night, a regular night at the biggest club in, in, in the city where I was at university in Hull um, called The Room. And then, you know, I just kept going and I've never really stopped. And it's always been just like a really great, outlet for me i suppose like if i decided like i'm gonna do nothing else but make music and be a dj maybe i'd have had a shot at just doing that in the end like i to be good at anything you have to concentrate on it and so for me like <clears throat> i never ever stopped djing and never ever stopped playing music or making or creating music or whatever but um you know it was always something else that i did because i was fully focused on on being an actor um, and then what happened was many, many years later, actually, when I was shooting Turn in Virginia, I decided to write a, sh uh, a short film about uh, a DJ. And then I thought it would be cool, you know, and we made that, you know, we made it and it was great. And, you know, we shot it in New York and it was really cool. Um, and then, and the music was wicked. And then I, I thought it'd be cool that, wherever it goes, if there was like a pop-up party that went with it under the name of the, the the fictional club in the movie, which is called Voltage. And so that's what, how that's, that, that kind of dragged me back into it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then, then I, then people found out that I was doing it and then they said, well, will you come and do it, you know, <laughs> over here and over there. And, and then, then I started meeting other people in the scene and, and then I wound up in Ibiza and I don't know. And then I've just been like <laughs> since. And oh, then, so you yeah. had a period there where you weren't doing it much and that really brought you back. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't doing it really from, I mean, I still have my decks. I'm still playing. Yeah. I just wasn't kind of going after gigs or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Until like for like probably like 10 years, but I was yeah. still collecting music, you know? I mean, I haven't, I haven't played a DJ set for a little while now, but I'm like, I can't stop curating and collecting like underground music you know so like, where do you get just, it from where do you find this stuff um there's lots of i mean there's so many places like Bandcamp, beatport there's uh, i also you know i'm on some promo lists as well so i get a lot of stuff that before it's yeah even released and then you know if you know people in the industry then they'll send you their music as well so yeah uh, i mean you can't I mean, any DJ will tell you, they, you can't get through them all. You oh. can't get through all the music. There's so much amazing music out there. And some of the best stuff, especially in, in like the dance music scene, some of the best stuff might never ever become anything big, but it it's like, it's just so much. You just can't, there's so much of it. You must be a fan of Moby. He He's one of my favorites. Oh my God. Yeah? Oh yeah. That yeah. was, yeah. You know, when I was, when I was um, younger, I can't remember what, it was on like a, it was on like a compilation, but I remember hearing Go and like, yeah, I didn't know what I was listening to. I was just like transported by the, this like hypnotic, trippy energy mm -hmm. of music like that. I, I, all of that, you know, like back in the day, like Sasha and John Digweed and Oakenfold, like Derek Carter, Danny Tanaglia, all these DJs that would just be doing these epic yeah. 
um, transportive music for people that wanted to get in a room with other people and go on some kind of a journey. There was a whole phase when people, when DJs would turn all the lights off in the booth, you know, so that you couldn't see the DJ anymore, that it was just all about the music. Really? But I also didn't like, I'm a firm believer that like, you know, you know, dancing is a primal need. And I think dancing with other people is a primal need. And I think sometimes people, you know, understandably have a, a self-awareness and a, you know, an embarrassment or whatever. But if you ever, I think everybody has lent in at some point for whatever reason and you forget yourself. And I think that's really healthy. So I've always loved the scene for that. But yeah, like Moby was like a big deal, you know, um, underworld, left field. Yeah. Um, all of that. My stuff. favorite song would be Natural Blues. That's probably everyone's favorite song. Oh, though. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably a generic that answer. Whole album, that whole album. Oh, right? that album is a, a masterpiece. It's very, very special. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, what makes Crescendos Are You Out There? The uh, the masterpiece. Oh, God, that it that's is. a girl. You pulled yeah. out a great one. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I knew you'd like yeah. that. What makes that a masterpiece for you? Um, it's a story, isn't it? You know, mm. I, it, it like it, it from the very beginning of that track, it starts to be evocative, right? You know, you have these like these like um, outdoor wilderness type sounds sounds of children playing you know and then just this orchestral kind of build and then like a really slamming four to the floor bass line when that bass line comes in it's nasty you know <laughs> and that, and, yeah. and it, it, but it's just and then there's like the siren in there i mean i, I know the, all the, siren. the layers do you know what i mean like yeah. I, I mean that's the thing i mean there's just some music that hits different and and you start and the more you hear it the more you hear something else and something new and i think you know great dance music like has a build and it and you know it, i mean that song's cool you know the the it's crescendo right but it's, it's kind of fun but it is like it has a crescendo right and it and it has like these peaks and troughs mm, um yep and you know you know brings you up brings you down brings you back drags you back in again and pulls you about a bit and i think that's that track just has everything. It has every, every, it checks every single box that a, a great dance music record should check. And that's great pacing great. too, if that's a thing for a song. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I loved your song Rainbow, uh, that remix. When was that done? Well, that was done during the pandemic. That's I, an artist called Brooke Josephson who yeah. um, is a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, she she wrote that album and reached out to me and wanted me to remix a couple of tracks. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with how that came out. Um, it's a funny time because, you know, making dance music when no one's <laughs> can, can <laughs> get together <laughs> and dance is like, yeah. is kind of wild. But yeah, that was, that was a really, that was a really fun remix to do. She's super talented and and writes great melodies. And so there was a lot in there. And I remember like, um, I think it was on that track. She'd had a bunch of kids do some of the chorus. And so there was all these vocal layers to work with, which is just from a sampling perspective is like really cool. Cause you can create like a very wide set of frequencies with that. It was cool, it was cool, it was a fun one to work with, but she's, she's just, that was like a really, it's a good chorus and a good, a good melody, and and then the rest is you know, and then I provide the. Were you ever into trance? I because I yeah, big time. I yeah. loved Tiesto's yeah. early stuff, trance man. That got me into the genre. Yeah, I was um, I was into that a lot. You know, um, I used to go and see Oakenfold play on the terrace, and not on the terrace in the courtyard at um, at Cream almost every week. Oh and wow! Was, you know, and that was a big yeah. He was a resident there. It was a big deal. Solar Stone and Nick Warren and yeah, so used to used to I was really into that for a while. It's, it's all that's the cool thing. Like it goes in phases. All these different types of of the of music kind of come into fashion and go out. But trance is still massive for a lot of people. It's not dying off. It's still. I, I, if you go to a trance festival, it's like tens of thousands <laughs> of people have a great time. So no, yeah. I don't think it's really going away. 
I've never been to one, but I, I imagine it'd be hectic. <laughs> um, you mentioned Turn, Washington Spies, a show you were on earlier. Uh, 40 episodes or so you were on. What What was that last day like shooting that? Was that emotional for you? Was that bittersweet? Oh, yeah, it was really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, um, you know, it was my first TV job in America, um, you know, and, and, and it was such an organic process because, you know, when I first auditioned for that, when I first auditioned for it and did the pilot, my character was killed. There was no plan for my character to be in the show beyond the first episode. Damn. And then when the show got picked up, AMC said um, that, that that was one of the conditions that they, you had to make Simcoe a series regular. Oh, that's flattering. Um, <laughs> it was it was incredible. And, and But it, what was even more exciting was because there was no original plan, we kind of created it together. Like, you know, the, the writers kind of saw what, what we did on the pilot and what I brought to the character and then wrote for that. And then as we went on, we would talk regularly, the writers and Sometimes, you know, most of the time I was saying, have him say less, you know. Really? He's very, like, he loved to talk, you know, he loved to, you know, like wind people up and everything. And it was good when it was done with, with less and less and less. And we would, we would just kind of like fine tune it over the years. But the, the writers on that show, led by um, uh, Craig Silverstein, they just, they just manufactured this incredible, like three-dimensional sociopath um that you know was so fun to play um and the storylines were just i mean obviously it was based on reality but my character was obviously embellished for tv fun but he it was, was kind of um, effed up man <laughs> the scenes yeah, that i saw yeah, yeah yeah he was a mess yeah yeah but it was brilliant but, brilliantly um, done you know but war, war isn't pretty is it you know so, no you know i i always say like well, you're going on what you've read in a history book. So yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, room for what could be true. What's the set of that show like compared to the set of a little old film, Harry Potter? Oh, my God. <laughs> so different. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the sets on term were obviously fantastic. And a lot of it was on location as well. But yes, Harry Which Potter. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Harry Potter was um, on a scale <laughs> that I'd never seen and have not seen since. Mm. It was when you see, like, for example, like the, the Great Hall, right? Or Gringotts. They didn't just do, usually what happens is they, they build a piece of, of of the world and that's what they that's what they're going to shoot and it seemed to me that on the harry potter sets they just built the world <laughs> you know like they would just they had the money these, yeah and they, they you know like you would it was oh, not yeah. just like a little bit it was the whole thing and then if you like went to a window up there that looks that doesn't work on, on zoom but like if you <laughs> yeah. went to a window like 30 feet in the air and then went through the window into the room the room has been dressed for real oh even though God. it's never going to be photographed right that's crazy it was like just in case you know they just went all in and then the the, the amount of people on that set was just 10 times what's on a on a independent film i remember taking a uh an indie producer friend, friend of mine. Like, I mean, a, he worked for like a really good company. And he yep. he came, to, I brought him on a, I brought him to set one day and he was absolutely tearing his hair out. <laughs> he was like, why aren't we shooting? Why aren't we doing anything? <laughs> you know, I was like, they because they take their time, you know, they want to get it absolutely perfect. And you would wait for camera and the lighting to be apt and, until they were said we were ready. And it would, that's why it would take, you know, a year um to make and you'd be you'd end up in like 10 minutes of the movie so how do you look back on that what, what what's the biggest thing maybe people might not know about that your work on that film or the that experience 
I think that like how long it if you look at how, yeah. if you look at the screen time that that my character Snatcher has in that movie it's it's like relatively tiny but it took a year to make that like I mean not like every day of the year but like many many days over a year because really the process of making a film is that you're collecting material you're collecting the ingredients to then make a movie in the editing suite that's what you're doing and you're getting as much ingredients as you can to make the best tasting soup that you can and so you know the more money you have the more time you have and the more time you have the more you can collect and so that's what they did you know i mean obviously you're working with a script but they can shoot things in so many different ways and get all of the different elements without having to compromise and say, well, we have, well, we've run out of time. You know, this has to end tomorrow. They could like, well, if we need another few days, we can have it, you know? So, but the other thing is like, it was just so much fun. Filming isn't always fun. Filming can be really just a slog sometimes. And, and the bit where you're acting is obviously um, mostly really enjoyable. But that's not most of the time spent on a film set. Most of the time spent on a film set is waiting and and then depending on, you know, what the resources of a movie is, that can either be pleasant or unpleasant. And you just get on with it regardless. But doing Harry Potter was really fun. I mean, the type of people that were around as well, as well, like, you know, your downtime was spent with like Eleanor Bonham Carter and Jason Isaacs <laughs> and and, you know, um, Michael Gambon and, you know, the, all these people are around when you just, you're all just hanging out like a big gang. Really fun. And Oh, here's something good. Yeah. So I had, I had, um, I had like a, uh, an idea that at the end of this movie, I'd whisk the wand away and that'd be my souvenir <laughs> from um, set. Yeah always like to have something from from the, the set the, that i you know was working on and i very quickly found out that there is nothing on a harry potter set that you will ever get your hands on <laughs> and to the extent that not even for the day but like for the take a props master would come to you and hand you your wand and you did it wasn't like a just a general your wand was assigned to you as if like you you God. went to Ollivander. and so you would get your wand you would they would roll they would call cut and before you knew it someone had grabbed that wand out of you <laughs> so you can't nick it <laughs> yeah that's brilliant. that's brilliant so where's your wand now you reckon in some museum I somewhere it's in a box in the um exhibition it is it says, like, you can go and yeah damn that's cool yeah, people have sent me pictures of it that's pretty cool damn you could you strike me <clears throat> sam as someone that never had a backup plan am i right that's correct yeah i thought so not that i haven't done other things you know mm. you know particularly you know early on i did loads of different jobs to like keep it all going but no there was never there's never a if i don't if if it doesn't work like I'll do this other thing. I think I was, I mean, I, I was well aware that like it might not work, but I, I was determined to throw all my eggs in the basket, yeah. So you've always taken risks? I don't really see it as taking risks. No, I, I think, no, I just, I was, I've just never wanted to do anything else. I've never felt more, more capable at anything than doing what what we do and i love it i just you know i i love doing it and i love getting in the sandbox and playing yeah i can honestly say like there isn't a single day going to work on a film set or you know to a studio or into a theater that i haven't been looking forward to in some way like I, it's just it's just what i do was it good to go back to to theatre after what was it eight years? That oh, it was you had? so good. Yeah, yeah, and and also you know Steppenwolf is oh it's pretty prestigious. One of the yeah. greatest theatres on the planet, and somewhere I had just like seriously wondered if I would ever be lucky enough 
to do a play there. It's such a hard club to get into and with good reason. It's very special. Yeah, I was so excited to do that play. And I, I hadn't done a play for 12 years. 12 years? Oh, wow. Now, given that my my the first five years of my career was just theatre, and then after that, once I started doing TV and film, I would probably do, you know, a play or two a year. That would be like, I, that's a great year. You do a couple of plays and a couple of bits of TV and film, whatever, it's a good year. So um, that's what it was. And then <clears throat> I moved to America and my first play was on, my first job was on Broadway uh, doing Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, The Roundabout. And then, then I got turned and then that was that. And then I never did a play since. So it was really special to go back and to go back to theater, but to go back in this way, to go back to, uh, somewhere that I was pinching myself, that I was, I was working there. And it is a very special place. And How many great. shows did you do? Well, uh, we did, I think, six weeks. It's like it was seven shows a week. So so it's a bit of a workout. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, like vocally, it's especially. Um, it wasn't a hugely physical show. You know, it's a pin to play. So you're not running and jumping and everything. Uh, but vocally, like, you have to know what you're doing. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, like prior to knowing that I was doing it, which I did for a while, you know, I made sure that my voice was in, uh, it's in a, in a place stamina wise where I could handle doing that. Cause I, I was so in the rhythm of that, that I never even really thought about it, but then like, you know, and it's not obviously I use my voice all the time, but it's a, just a different kind of way of working when you're in a theater and um, having to be heard along where there's no mics, you know. So um, so I got ready um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, but it was um, it was a lot of fun. Just before you go out to the live crowd. How do you describe that feeling for you? Do you get nervous? Are you excited? Are you both? Um, right before. No, um, I, it's not. It's not nerves. It's it's um, it's anticipation. You know, it's it's the the clock's ticking, and you know that there's always a there's always a funny moment when you're about to walk on. And you're waiting for that light to go out or you you know you're listening for the sound cue you're listening for the lines and you know when and all the rest of it but it's like um it's a point of no return you know <laughs> it's it's just yeah. the thing the crazy thing about theater like if you're in a if you're on a, on a set right <clears throat> even if it's taken three hours for everybody to get ready and they'll they they're like right let's roll and the camera's rolling sounds rolling and then for some reason you don't feel ready, you can say, well, sorry, I'm sorry. Let's just hold on a second. I'm not quite ready. You know? And I was like, all right, cut, you know, <laughs> and then they'll pick it up again in a second. Once you've got your act together, yeah. that can't happen in a theater, <laughs> in a theater, yeah. you know, when that light goes out, you go ready yeah. or not, you know, yeah. and that creates just a different kind of a heartbeat. In your body, you know? <laughs> and, I think like, I mean, the, the further you get into the run, obviously the calmer you get. But those first few shows, you know, when, you know, when you're just sort of doing it in front of people for the first few times, like, yeah, yeah like the heart rate, my heart rate goes up. I don't feel scared or nervous in any way, but my heart rate goes up. And I, I mean, it's like an extreme level of focus, you know, and you know, the, the, the trick is, you know, how do you, how do you make yourself present in that moment and not checked out in your own anxious thought bubble, right? Yeah. And experience and experience helps with that. But I really, I really love those moments, and I and and I love, you know, for me, there's like a for all the build up. As soon as I walk out there, I really calm down. It's a funny thing, like I, yeah, you know, that's almost where I'm 
at my calmest in a funny way. So do you channel that sort of energy when you're playing Ghost as well? Because I've heard you say you kind of just feel him. You're not really getting into a voice or doing something. You kind of just feel it out, right? Yeah, I think, uh, and I think that's true for, you know, at this point for all, all of the actors on Call of Duty is that they don't, nobody's like taking a moment to get into character. And mm. I, I mean that in terms of, I mean, obviously like there's a moment of calm where everybody just kind of concentrates for a second before we start, but, but everybody knows the essence of the, of the human beings that they're playing. And so when you know that, when you truly know that, you just have to kind of, yeah, I think like shut out everything and be present and listen and the right things happen. It takes work to get to that moment, of course, but you know, that's the goal is how can you, how can you get to a place where you're just actually listening and responding? And with Ghost, you know, and I'll say this about, I wasn't part of of the franchise until Modern Warfare 2, of course. And I'm not a gamer. So I can't speak to whether this is a better game to play than that. Or, you know, I can't, I'm not expert enough to say those things. Unless it's FIFA. You're pretty good at FIFA, right? I love FIFA. <laughs> there you oh, go. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, but the but the the but what I can speak to is story, yeah. And what I can speak to is character and and um, writing. The story, just from my experience of doing this work, th these characters are not any less fleshed out or three dimensional than the best movie scripts that I've read. They are fully grounded, real human beings. And the effort to make them authentic in terms of their behavior on the battlefield and everything else. And obviously there's some manipulation that has to happen because of the genre of the thing that we're doing. But in terms of the story arc and how they relate to each other, like they're really... Um, it's some deep work that's going on. And from the writing team, particularly, you know, they're not just throwing words on a page. They they know these characters so well. And they're really mindful of like moving these story arcs in a way that is not only exciting for the franchise, but also feels authentic to who these characters are that people have grown to know and love and or hate and and just you know care about so that stuff makes it easy that when the writing's really good you don't have to work as hard right you 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 have to show up and and be that's that's when it's at its best i've noticed in in maybe it was in model fair 2 but model fair 3 i feel like Every time ghosts ask a question, ghost asks a question, people answer straight away. No, no fucking around. But other yeah. characters, there'll be, there might be a banter or this or that. But if you ask a question, no, we're getting an answer straight away. Well, that's that's you such feel that? a good observation. Yeah, I not really thought about it, but that's great. Um, yeah, um, these are the nuances. Yeah, I mean, you I don't think. mess. You don't mess with him, do you? I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> he, he's he's not. He's a man of few words. But when he talks, you listen. Oh, yeah. I love that interrogation scene, uh, you and and Neil and Soap. And uh, and I'm she says, why do you wear the mask to hide my face? Brilliant. Yeah. Really. I mean, th but that's the thing, right? You know, it, it, one of the things that I love about doing this is um, – and it's very it's very specific to to video the video game world I think which is because people are, are so involved in the story in a way that they're not you know you watch a movie and it can you know you might remember it for the rest of your life and maybe you'll watch it twenty times to um, to enjoy it over and over again and then you start remembering stuff but with a video game you are in it you know you are the story in in, in a way so what's really exciting for us is is to see what lands 
right? Mm. What hooks in Modern Warfare 2, there was when Ghost, when Soap's being cheeky and Ghost says enough and, you know, or like when, you know, fight when alone. No, one fights, no one fights yep. alone. And, yep. you know, some of these lines that pop out. And, you know, I was like, oh, I wonder what that's going to be in Modern Warfare 3. And unquestionably, the one that people bring up all the time is when, you know, is when he says to hide my face, you know, and, and it's, it's, um, you must have known that when you delivered it in the moment. Like this could this could be a hit. No, I knew it was a. It was. I I knew it was great. Yeah, it was a great scene, and I knew that that was a great answer to that question. <laughs> and yeah, and I was like, I think this is hilarious. I think this is this is like this is pure ghost right now. This is like vintage ghost behavior the mm. direct slapback that is in a way quite revealing um what do you mean um, what do you mean by that really sad. well just you know it's when the, the simple straight answer right yeah is is like i don't think he's i don't think it's just cheek i don't think he's just being funny he's actually yeah yeah he's like why do you think no yeah. he doesn't say why he's hiding his face no but that's that's the simple answer, isn't it? It's still it's still the truth. To hide my face in parentheses that you never hear, you idiot. You know? <laughs> that's so, like that's but that's that's yeah. the joy of it. Yeah. And that and, and so um but that's that's when the writing is at its best as well, because it's just so simple. It seems simple. It's like to to come up with a line like that, you have to know everything, right? There's layers. Really know, yeah. And yeah, know who who these people are and why they would say a certain thing. But the, for us. Like those simple things, they're so they're so pleasurable, and this yeah, and they're so clearly authentic too. And that's why they work. So for a scene like that, do you know why he hides his face? Do they tell you that, or do you come up with it in your own mind? Um, or do you not need to know that? No, I don't. We don't really talk about that too much. That's just what he says when he's asked that question by that character. Yeah. If we had a scene with price and ghost after a long dark night you know and price said why do you wear that mask that might be a different conversation i'd love to see that scene actually <laughs> now that you I'd put that in it. the universe i'm just, saying, I'm just spitting i know i know but i would it's like to different... see you and barry you guys are having a blast on those stream leagues. you got to do more they're oh fantastic I mean, he's a good lad. We we just, I mean, but that's the thing, like, you know, <clears throat> it's very satisfying when people enjoy uh, the end product because we have a great time working together. And it, it, it's a real, really great bunch of people behind the behind the camera too. And, and we don't get to meet many of the people that work on it, as of course, right? Because it's a lot of, you know, the biggest part of making the game is not, what we do the devs you know? yeah but um and but we you know in our little team of people the, the like the cast plus 20 other people that we see on a regular basis it's brian just such jeff a, yeah yeah it's just such a great crack it's it's just really is and barry is you know he's a he's a consummate pro and <clears throat> and but the sweetest guy and um yeah, we we really get on well, and I think that's you know testament to Jeff and 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 Brian and and Taylor before, and you know these people that Taylor kind of, legend. When they, yeah, when they like when they cast when you're casting like people that are going to be spending this much time together and actually do need to have a bond. It's important not just to cast people who can do the job because of course there's never just one person that can do a job you're also creating a cocktail of people right and so you know that's and and whether they're like you know specifically thinking about that at the time or not i couldn't speak to but it feels like they get it right you know when they bring when we all come together like there's some fizz in the room you know i can feel it yeah it's fun it's like a rock band you know Kinda. you're on the drums Gaz is on the keys. Yeah, that's right. You've seen those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen oh, I've seen the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I was yeah. referring to. Yeah. yeah. Price is lead singer. Price is lead. Well, he has to, he's the lead singer of his own band, isn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, it's fantastic. I love the rapport you guys have. It's brilliant. I just want to see more. It's never enough for me when these games come out. I just want more and more. But how do you even how do you deal with someone like Barry when you know he goes for Liverpool and you know you're an Everton man? I mean, that, yeah, that's I mean, a struggle. It's 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 sad that he's <laughs> like that, um, and that his his family created a, another Liverpool <laughs> supporter. There's we've already got enough of them, frankly. Um, but not everyone's perfect, are they? <laughs> Oh no! Although Everton aren't doing too well, are they? I don't follow it. Oh, but do you know what? Yeah, Dan. Sorry, sorry. We're playing better now. Sorry, we have been oh, doing okay, terribly okay. for many, many years, and we just had ten points deducted. But we are actually starting to play. So, what for? For infringement? Oh, for, for, for financial rule breaking. Oh, uh, so was that the one you were pissed League. off at? Yeah, the fans the were pissed. Yeah. ten points off, off Everton. And we'll see, like, Man City have got that coming down the pike too and um, I think maybe Chelsea as well. But we were the first the first team to get it, to get the punishment. So, we, so the, yeah, they took 10 points off, which put us... We were playing okay and we were doing all right and moving up the table. And, um, and then we had 10 points taken off us, which put us in the relegation zone. But now we just came out because we, um, we're playing like a real Premier League team right now. Who's kind of who's the goat of football or soccer for Americans? Who's the goat in your mind? Well, it's Messi, isn't it? Yeah, I think most people would agree with you. I think Messi and um, I don't know, like it's tough to Maradona. Yeah, I, I have to give a shout out to Dixie Dean, the original goal scoring machine from Everton. <laughs> that no one knows about, but you do if you know the Everton history. Yeah, but there. I mean, there's there's some incredible players now. You know, I hate to say it, but you know, you know like even. Well, I was just. Well, I was just thinking of. Um, <laughs> I, I was. No, I've just had a. I've had a. Um, like Mo Salah. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, that that he's an incredible player. You know, and like Rashford when he was on form. There's all these amazing, amazing players in, in every team. Now, if you put them all together, they couldn't play together. Like if you put all the superstars together, they couldn't, they wouldn't. You don't think team. so? You think they'd, but everyone so. wants no, the ball. That's why, that's why England don't win the World Cup. <laughs> you know, you've got all the, like, the best players in the Premier League and you put them all together and they don't win anything. You know what's funny? I think I won a game of Warzone Call of Duty with Messi, Pogba, and Ghost. <laughs> Is that right? Because <laughs> yeah, they Amazing. were in the game for a short time. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember year. that, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple more before I let you go. Thanks again for your time, mate. We really appreciate it. The big scene. Spoilers, everyone. Um, answer this how you can't want to, I imagine Sam. what you're about to talk about. Yeah. I just can't, can't think you, about you've it. You've got no idea. you got absolutely no, no idea. idea what this question is. I don't even need to say it, but just tell us your thoughts on, on that big scene and what do you think he's feeling or how the scene came about behind the scenes? Yeah, I'll let you. You're talking about so. So there, I, you know, we didn't know it was going to happen. It wasn't like we started the, 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 the making of it and we got a heads up. Right. Yeah, it was, it was very, um, carefully dealt with um behind the scenes as uh, uh, and so <clears throat> what was interesting was that on the day so neil was the first person to find out of course and then the rest of us were um brought into the storyline and told what was going to happen and um and it was shocking you know like it's one of the boys and then they said um and we're going to do the memorial scene this afternoon jesus <laughs> throwing you in the deep end and it was um but it, you know it, i mean there wasn't a lot of words right so it wasn't like we had to go away and 
you know, and like spend a lot of time memorizing anything. And what was good from an acting perspective is that we were genuinely reeling from the news that Soap was going to die. And so there's a bit of life in the art too in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I thought it was really brilliantly written. I thought it was respectfully handled by the team. And I think it's all it's all there on the screen. I think it came out great. Um, and it's such a huge moment for the the storyline of the of of these characters. I feel like it was done really well. And I hadn't seen the everything in sequence until you know it released, and then was able to see the you know the whole sequence running into the to the you know in the in the tunnels and. The, the channels thing and then the in the and then Makarov obviously doing what he does and everything and and the way that shot as well the way they edited it the way it sort of happens and falls away from you as you're having to focus on what Makarov is doing and then you come you know and you have to you know even that was a wrench mm. but the making of it was like just really um I don't know it was really it was it, the the temperature cooled and everybody was braced and um neil left he was working that day but he um he didn't stay around for that and um you know it was kind of sad i i feel like that came through when uh, when ghost comes up to him and you scream johnny yeah and you Which remember much delivering that actually that was yeah. done that was done that was done much later, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's the job, right? Our job is to like portray these big moments and, and portray these extremes of 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 life and whatever. Um, but what's what's good when you, and, and what's makes it a whole lot easier when you when you do scenes like that is when you've actually had some lived experience of like we spent a lot of time together, a lot. And and we've all become friends. And so when one of you is going, there is a there's a real part of that too to lean into, which just, just makes it easier. Uh, but also, you know, <clears throat> your job is for the audience to feel emotional, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to ride that line very carefully of, of not only well what would the character do in this situation they're also like seasoned top of the top level soldiers and operators they know that death is part of that job mm. and so you have to know all of you know all of those feelings whatever like you know they have to be suppressed in the right way too. And, can't be over and, the top at all. Yeah. No, and it also can't. It also can't be a different character. Like it has to be the the gut. It has to be, you know. You know, Price has to react as Price would react, as you would expect Price to react to that, and Gaz and Ghost and you. You know, these guys. If we've done our job right, are three dimensional human beings, and you have to make sure that the response is appropriate to the characters that we've created and um and the writing reflects that and then i think the performances do too and and i think it leaves room for the audience to feel something which is the whole point well if you put yourself in neil's shoes how would you have felt that day if that was it for you well i know how neil felt that day because i spoke to him at great length um just afterwards and then sometime after that and I spoke to him last week and and you know Neil is a great actor he is a professional and he's an artist and he understands um I can't speak to his feelings right but here's what yeah. I know you know almost immediately Neil was in the zone of this is great storytelling because he's a pro and that's a great knows, attitude. Like, yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like, yeah, of course, like 
you know, every actor wants a, a, a great job to never end, right? That That's one part of it. But at the same time, this is great storytelling. And, and, and Neil, to his credit, was like, he was there very fast. And he could see that this was this was an exciting development for the for the story and so um so yeah like i said i know how he feels like i, I mean i don't but like <clears throat> but i know that that was the attitude he took and and um yeah he he didn't dwell like he was like he had a lot of work to do by the way you know after that you know because it's never all done in he's in, in zombies like, he's in other things yeah yeah, but also like just in in terms of what we, on Modern War, Warfare Three, like that moment actually happened kind of halfway through the job. Like it oh, all okay, happening, right. it all happening from logical order, right? Because it happens as things are ready. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, like it was like okay, we know that, but like he's gonna, like he's he'll be back at work tomorrow. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. And um, but he, um. But yeah, he was just, I was really impressed actually with how quickly he was able to see the the positives of it for for the franchise. Not just, you know, not just to see it from a, an egotistical place. He didn't at all, actually. He, you know, um, I mean, he, he loves doing it and he he's quintessential so you know he's 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 perfectly cast and 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 um and so i think i think he's probably really proud of of having played so mm. to this moment um that would be my guess based on what i know about him <clears throat> and certainly in the moment he was extremely graceful and extremely professional and really kind of like represented himself as an artist really well because he understood the storytelling part which is key yeah shout out to neil if you're watching great job brother and Absolutely. come on the show and talk about it whenever you whenever you want mate. whenever you're ready no sam what would you want people to take away from ghost this time around well i think the story as it's gone what's cool about it from from the beginning of when i started working on this and what i knew about where it came, you know, before I think like these characters have never been more human than they are now. I think they they look and feel like real people more than they ever have. In Modern Warfare 2, you see a guy who previously has been a lone wolf in many respects, um, likes that, um, and then maybe sees that he uh that's not the best way to operate and and so in a rare moment of vulnerability um acknowledges the the power in in the team that no one fights alone and i think in this in modern warfare 3 you see him really embrace that and lean into that and and i think at the end of modern warfare 3 if we've done our job right, we see a lot of unfinished business and a lot of new question marks about the smartest way to survive. And, you know, moving into the future, are you excited about what's to come? Are you, is it something where you think about, oh, for the next game, I might think about doing this? Or do you just subdue all those thoughts and just wait until you're in the room? to think about yeah. i mean first of all like like honestly i don't know what's coming um i yeah. don't know what i don't know what the plan is and that's kind of cool i know there'll be a plan but i don't know what it is yet and um yes i don't spend any time honestly thinking about what is gonna happen and what i'm gonna bring to it I'm very much uh, writing first in, in, in how I approach it. So I will receive what comes my way and then um, respond appropriately to that. And I, th th that's the thing with great writing is that, you know, as an actor, you know, you're just like, give me it, show me what you've got. And I think, and so for me, like, I think 
I know that they will take it somewhere exciting and then it will just be a case of you know again it's the really delicious part of having a character that you're evolving yeah. over a long period is that you know two two rounds of that in and I do feel like I know who know who this guy is and then like and then it's you know when that writing comes in going okay well, what does what does this mean in the moment now, rather than projecting anything onto it, which is not anything I'm ever interested in with any of the jobs I do. I know you do audiobooks, theater, TV, film, games. Do you think you'll do more games? Is that something you'll I pursue? So. I, I never knew that. I never knew this world until yeah um, until Call of Duty, and I have to say it's one of the most satisfying jobs I've ever done. I, it's great I, to I hear. Never, when I first became an actor, I never really, it, it just wasn't anything I thought about. Um, and I, th I think I had some kind of, you know, vague knowledge of like a voiceover, um, the, the, the actor's voice characters in video games, but I never, I didn't know anything about the world of, of doing it. And having done that now, I can honestly say it's one of my favorite ways of working i think and i think you know what what's possible and that kind of immersive nature of it for the for the player um it's very special because it's something that you can't do in the same way in other in other mediums. genres yeah other mediums that's the word and yeah. so uh, that's really, really, really fun, and it is just it's it's just a great time doing it, and it, and it reaches so many people. It's one of the most fun, satisfying things that I've done. It, you know, with the the amount of passion and and um, importance for people that this character has, um, I just wasn't really. I hadn't I hadn't paid any thought to that. Certainly when I started, I was just I was just doing the job that I was hired to do. And it wasn't until it came out that I really was able to process um what it meant process. to people. And that's very, very <clears throat> exciting and satisfying. And yeah, I hope I do more of it. Not for that reason, but because I do genuinely like <laughs> I love showing up and making these things. It's really, really fun very lucky like it's such a great way you know to call it a job's kind of stupid it doesn't feel like work. not really you might have the coolest job on earth i play ghost in call of duty you might you'd be up there with the Honestly, top like it does the... feel that way a lot of the time you do i mean and if you don't and i think like i think that's i think you have to acknowledge that i think you have to yeah understand that you have a very privileged position where that's what you get to go and do for a living it's um it's super fun man keep kicking ass brother you you are a phenomenal actor everyone here appreciates your work and uh is there anything you want to say to the fans that have tuned in today anything that you want to relay to them coming up just want to say thank you for for engaging with this story and and with this game it's um it, we see you and we're grateful and i have a movie out in the cinemas right now called all souls yes um, i want to see this which yeah see this which is, um directed by it's the first um feature from uh director emmy pickett um it's got um mikey madison in it uh Jeezy, nice and uh and it's real it's really cool who do you play are you allowed to say yeah, yeah, I play um I played um a detective Carcillo. I'm an LAPD oh. undercover narcotics detective. Oh shit. And, That's um, cool. It is a thriller. It's it's um yeah. It's it's a cool movie. Yeah. So that's out now. I think you can watch it on um uh Amazon and uh, maybe Apple TV too. Oh, cool. Yeah, go ahead and check that out everyone and then you've got stream release coming up. Yes, if you want um, uh, a signed print, 
um, you can go to my Streamly page, streamly.com forward slash Samuel Rukin, I think, and um, and order one. I have one, I have a, a live stream signing coming up on the 20th of December. And um, I put another one in as well, and I'm forgetting when it is, but it's shortly after that. So I'm doing two more before the end of the year because um, I want to make sure that everybody gets their orders, you know, that they ordered before the end of the year. I love doing that actually. It's really I that again, like that's another part of it that um I didn't think would be fun, but it is. It's really nice to You've like, become a streamer, of... you've done more streams than me this year. <laughs> Maybe. Like, I don't know, like <laughs> I, I mean it's it's again like it's all like new territory for me, but I enjoy um this community is really cool and really passionate. And it's it's you know, we have a lovely time. We get on and we, you know, I sign some things and we they ask questions and we chat and, and I yeah. did one with Barry the other day. It was hilarious. Oh, it was brilliant. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, um, it's a great opportunity for, you know, the fans to, to hang out with us for an hour or so. And it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, have some contact with the, the people that, <laughs> that are the, the only reason why we're doing it anyway. So, so it's good. It's also really cool. Good it's also cool to give like, it's kind of, your residuals in a way for gaming, you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's like a totally mutually beneficial thing. Yeah. Uh, you might, if you play this character for another 10 years, you might do, <laughs> you might be doing a lot more streams in the future, Maybe. but, um, who knows? Who knows? No, thank you, mate. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Make sure to follow, Sam everywhere, guys. Check out his new movie and uh, a pleasure as always, mate. Thanks, Dan. Thanks.